it's me, Sarah Russell, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Women's Domain podcast. I'm really excited, actually, because for those of you that don't know, IRX, uh, one of the leading e-commerce events in our industry, they've launched a new conference track this year called Inclusion and Diversity in Modern Commerce. And I'm excited about it because it's giving the issues that I really care about a proper platform. And also the women's domain has been invited to host two roundtables as well. So if you're attending this year, please make sure you come and find us. Now, as well as the women's domain, they also have a host of excellent speakers, including this episode's guest, who is Carly Tate. Carly Tate is a Team GB Paralympian and also a diversity and inclusion consultant. And she works with top brands all across the industry on their DE&I policies and so much more. So at IRX, Carly will be discussing how businesses can look to embed DEI into their culture. Um, and I've caught up with her to, to have a chat, really, and get a glimpse into what to expect from her panel talk at IRX this year. And as always with our podcast, what I think starts off as, you know, a small informal chat ends up being a conversation I could probably have for hours, if not days, because there's just so much to think about and so much to talk about. But lucky for you, I am getting slightly better at this editing lark. Um, so here's just 40 minutes of awesome PEI chat. Um, and if you want to hear more, then make sure you grab your free tickets for IRX and you can see the link in our podcast description. So that's it. I'll stop rambling. Have a listen. Enjoy. Carly, welcome. Welcome to the Women's Domain podcast. Thank you so much for um, joining me this evening. It's great great to meet you. Oh, you too. And thanks so much for having me. Um, so before we get into it necessarily, I would love you to introduce yourself to the listeners um, because I think you've got a really cool, uh, well, I'll say backstory, but story just in general. And I'd love, um, love to hear it from your point of view. Oh, amazing. Well, I do my I do my intro first, sort of like, you know, that sort of if you were a bit if you were in an elevator, what would you say about yourself? So I, I'll do that and then I can touch on whatever you want me to touch on within that. So um I have 15 years experience in marketing. Um, I sort of followed a very linear traditional route into marketing. I was very lucky that I knew what I wanted to do when I was younger and I just you know went to college did that went to uni did that came out of uni did that and and did that all the way up until I was about 29 30 um I had a bit of an epiphany if you can call it that in 2012 so roughly when I was about 27 when I was working in a marketing role a marketing comms role uh, it was digital marketing so it was lower funnel role so paid search display that type of stuff and I had a bit of an epiphany and it was because I went to the London 2012 games to just watch it Mm. I was a spectator at the Paralympics and I had um, a profound impact on me because I am a disabled woman and it was my first positive representation, if you like, of disability 
at that time. And I just sort of decided there and then, literally, something was ignited in me as a spectator. And I decided there and then to quit my job and become a Paralympian. <laughs> that sounds like it was easier said. You know, it's like that sounds really easy, doesn't it? Um, it definitely wasn't. Quit my job, became a Paralympian which I can touch on, but um, did that for five years, managed to get to Rio, did an extra year, went to the World Para Athletics in London, so it was a bit of a poetic full circle. I was down there on TV, on the start line, looked up in the stand where I was in 2012 and had a moment and after 2017, I thought, you know what, I'm I'm going to retire. And I retired and very quickly after had a, a baby, went back into marketing after maternity leave. Um, but I just, I wasn't as happy anymore. There was quite a number of reasons for that. I think I... One struggled with the transition of going from sport back into marketing. Two, I had completely different experiences than the one that I had in sport. And it led me to think about what did I want in life. I started working for a charity. I was a board trustee for a Manchester-based charity. And I realised that actually a more people-centric role was where I wanted to be. I started working in DNI, diversity and inclusion. I worked, it, I worked my way up slowly. I became a freelancer whilst working in marketing and um, slowly and surely built my experience up over the last two, three, four years, and now I work in DNI full-time for a major global retailer. So it's definitely a very squiggly career. I always thought I would be in marketing, always thought I'd be in digital marketing specifically. Um, I loved and I still do love marketing, e-com, digital, still love it all. It's my, I always refer to it as my bread and butter. I don't know when that's going to stop, when I start, you know, saying, oh, DNI is my bread and butter. But, um, yeah, I think marketing became a habit. I, it's really interesting, actually, that you that you did sort of start from a marketing background because um I'm obviously uh, have a market um, I'm a marketing director so you'd think I had a marketing background which I do um but I feel like as a market as marketeers we we are able to pivot a lot and we're able we we are I think naturally people 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 yeah people people really um I mean you know I know I know there's a scientific side I know there's a you know that kind of that paid and digital etc but I think you end up Every every marketeer I know, particularly women, they've always had fingers in lots of pies, you know, <laughs> um, and been able to sort of like flip from one sort of role and responsibility to another. So, I, you know, I don't, while it is really, it's kind of a crazy journey you've been on, but also it, it kind of, it kind of makes sense to me. 
if that makes sense. No, I think it does. I think with marketing, you use the word pivot, which is such a marketing term. Because you know how it is, you know what the mix is like. It's not just one thing you're focusing on. It's so many things that you're focusing on. You've got a plan, but you need a contingency plan. Then things don't go to plan. And, you know, then there's the the macro landscape that also feeds into that. And you have to be so agile as a marketing professional um, that, that really... Yeah, I suppose it is natural that you would want to do lots of other things as well. And I think your life experiences can definitely feed into that. And different things are going to be more important to you at different times. I I don't think it's a coincidence that I became more involved in DNI when I was pregnant or when I was a mum. Absolutely not. I think that massively triggered a new thought process I also think that obviously as marketers you get really invested mm. in your brands mm. you become the brand that you that you that you work for so the people and the demographic that you are trying to reach you know you become invested in them and yes we are attracting consumer bases but that's not enough anymore we can't really look at people as a demographic as such um and it is more about individuals yeah i think it's about how you can connect with the individuals behind the job title you know yeah. and like you 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 so your your journey into becoming a paralympian and you talked about being a spectator at london 2012 i mean if that isn't uh, kind of uh, a poster for positive representation and what it can what it can do for someone I mean what else is I mean surely that that must drive what you what you talk about in your DEI work as well it does it 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 does I think representation is is just one element of inclusion um I think that brands are still in the in the arena of representation and I think that often people mistake what true inclusion is by looking through the lens of okay we have diverse talent on our screens or or in our ads you know for me if I reflect back on my experiences as a child and then as an adult my representation was so limited and the representation I was afforded or what I did see on screens or in books or on the street even was very negative. The narrative was negative. It was toxic. And I started to believe that about myself and that's what representation can do. You internalise it. So... For the first 10 years of my life, it was legal to discriminate against me. I have no legal protection as a disabled person. And there was no accountability for brands. There was no accountability for people on the street. And, you know, disabled people were depicted as, and we still are, depicted as 
burdens and we're depicted as something to laugh at or or if we're not something to laugh at we're something to ah at and you know it's that victimization it's that it's the 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 villainizing of disabled people that is still a common thread today so in 2012 I wouldn't even call myself a disabled person. I would do everything I could to denounce that and just be, you know, in my head, it was always about try and act as normal as possible. Mm. I thought I wasn't normal. I am completely normal and just different. Mm. And so when I saw those athletes with that superhuman campaign, when I saw those athletes being celebrated for what they could do, and even that as a message is slightly ableist because it's still tapping into what non-disabled people think. Mm-hmm. Um, even that representation, just, just a little bit of positivity was so impactful that it ignited that change. And I knew as an ambitious person that that was my route to achieving something that nobody thought I could do. Um, So, yeah, for me, yes, it absolutely did trigger a change. It's not to say that the Superhuman campaign or that 2012 or any Paralympic campaign since then hasn't been problematic in some of its context and some of its narrative, but I truly believe DNI is progress it's about progress and if we hang our hats on perfection we are never going to shift any dial absolutely and you know going into the work that you do now and working with sort of you know really well-known top brands where do you start because I know that's a big question (laughs) You you haven't got all night but I think like you know when we uh, produced our white paper you know I, you know I spoke to um a professor um in diversity and inclusion and things like that and I think there's um and I've done a podcast as well we're talking about the power responsibility that that e-commerce businesses have in the sense of you know DEI can't be a checklist that you just keep ticking off and it's like oh okay so we need to, we need to make sure we've got someone that looks like that in our business and we we're going to put money towards that initiative and tick 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 when actually the culture um there's there's still not that real understanding or empathy that we live in that discriminatory society in which that you do have to you know in order to in order to strive for equality I guess you have to come from an understanding that people need to be treated different you know in in, in certain ways do you see what I mean so it's about the fairness of that equality yeah you know there there is that aspect I think what I've alluded to it is that tokenism is 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 easy to to achieve I think um where you start is really you look at your gaps and you for me it's definitely a data-driven process but it's underpinned by people I think um that intersectional view of a workforce or your customer base is is really important so an example of that would be as a disabled person 
I do see more instances of representation at the front end. You know, I am seeing that. I do see more disabled people on screens. Is that truly DNI? Have disabled people been involved in the production? Have they been consulted with? You know, um, often you find not the case. Um, and, you know, there's so much more about me that I don't see as a disabled person in, in everyday scenarios still. So um, being pregnant, for example, was a big gap. You know, I would go to baby brands. I want to be careful what, what brands I say here, but I would go to baby brands on the high street, you know, to do my fun things like, you know, shop for the clothes and the plans and, and you know, there were big gaps in those experiences. So none of the products were accessible. I would have to really work. You know, I remember being in uh, um, John Lewis when I was um, pregnant and they were amazing with me because they, they I was literally in there for about eight hours. Wow. Like trying out all the different types of pans and, and they even took loads of pans down off the shop floor and brought them to my car mm -hmm. with a doll, um, a weighted doll, for me to basically practice um, putting them down and putting them in the boot and putting the baby in the, in the car seat and things like that. That for me was so, I was so touched and... Mm -hmm. Really, for me, that was a favourable experience, and that is why you know I would align to a brand like that because mm. it was so. It it wasn't about okay on paper what are we meant to do. It was somebody that didn't know anything about my condition, didn't know anything about me, who just decided to do what was right in that moment. You know, I bet you there was no process that sat behind that. Yeah. I was going to ask you whether whether it was just you, your luck on the day that you had an individual working in a particular brand, you know, branch even, um, yeah. or whether there was some sort of procedure or policy that they had in place. I think the culture drives whether or not you are going to, to sort of have a great experience I, I do there is an element of luck 100 percent um but I think culture is the start of that change um there was other experience say where I would go into a shop and try and look for clothes and I would be with a friend and I would be the pregnant person in a wheelchair um clearly pregnant I mean I know we don't all like to assume who's pregnant and who's not but I'm in a baby store mm. I have a big belly my friend who is you know ambulant standing walking has literally this my mate has a six pack I mean mm. there was nothing there and they directed everything to her what are you looking for? What do you need? How can I help you? And my friend had to say, no, I'm not the one having a baby she is. Mm. And it was, it was almost like I was invisible. And, and that's, where, that's where it makes the difference. So yes, representation I am seeing as a disabled person, and I do see that, but we're so much more nuanced. Mm. We're not siloed, you know. I, I, I am a mum and... 
um, a woman, but I'm not often captured in those nuances and those intersectionalities are not always taken um, into account. And because of those intersectionalities, you have different experiences as well. Mm. I, for example, after the birth of my son, I had a really difficult time. I went through menopause very early. And because I had a health condition, I was gaslighted a lot. Yeah. Because it was, oh, but, you know, because you're disabled, everything's that. But it com- it was completely two separate things, which meant that I had a late diagnosis and a late treatment plan and lost all of my fertility in the short window that I had any fertility left. So it really does matter when we're not seeing people through um, a more sort of deeper lens, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you've just said actually about almost like being gaslighted, I think all women um, will relate to that, whether they're uh, able-bodied or or not. And I think particularly when it comes to our fertility and um, menstrual health and things like that, where you are basically, you you, you end up putting up with, horrendous pain and god knows what else because you're just you're kind of used to it and then it's all you know and because there's no research really done you know you know there's that quote that everyone likes to pull out in conversations like this that there's more money and research put into erectile dysfunction than there is into menopause Mm -hmm. and periods and women's health and fertility and stuff and you just think you know the fact and then when you when you're in the position like yourself where people are looking at you through other lenses other than just being a woman you know you just you know you barely stand a chance Mm. it was definitely tough but this is one of the I think I was still in marketing at that time so uh, I've had a lot of things sort of to contend with outside of just being a retired Paralympian Um, and sometimes I do kind of sit here and think oh I wish I, I wish I was just a retired Paralympian sometimes. I mean, obviously, I always want to be a mum. But, you know, the complexities of my experience afterwards have been really difficult to to um, not cope with, but to adjust to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I'm so... That's why I'm in this space, Yeah, you know? Because it makes a difference. It really does make a difference to somebody's life and somebody's future. Well, I think it's when you've gone through stuff like this, um, you can you can make that choice to make it better for the person that comes behind you. Um, I think that's that's really admirable. And I think, you know, when we're talking about working with brands and businesses um, into what I would call authentic DEI and, and, you know, true inclusivity and and the pushback, you know, I mean, do you get any pushback and what is that pushback and does it come from a place of fear or, you know, what, what would you say it was? So I think brands now know they have a duty to at least consider it. So whether it's truly authentic or whether it is still scratching the surface of being a little bit performative, I think we are now sort of evolving into that space where there is at least some consideration and I think um pushback can often come from a place of um fear ambiguity um not knowing enough and I think that's why when you 
sit on a course to embed um a culture um because i'm a i'm a big believer that dni isn't necessarily a function it's it's definitely just a way of of being so when you work on that journey to embedding that it's it, it you have to have um obviously a really robust strategy and that strategy's got to ladder up to the bigger strategy it can't be a strategy on its own and i think Working with those people that are potentially fighting against it or asking difficult questions, I think it's just the case of always coming back to what is it that you don't agree with or what is it that you don't fully understand and then working together because it is all about working together. It's about working together to 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 sort of strengthen um, your approach, you're always going to have stakeholders that are not truly on board. And I think that's why with a DNI strategy, you marginalise people are at the core, at the very, very core. But ultimately, a DNI strategy is about everybody. So I think people think that in order to give equality, you have to give something up. Mm. And that's not that's not that's not what we're saying we're just saying please can I have can please can you share yeah and that you know you keep or or your you know fantastic privilege and and where, where you are amazing for you but if everybody has that opportunity to thrive and everybody has um equitable support then society society just thrives you know I think it's really sort of it's really sort of recessive as an idea when people think potentially you know they're helping people out they're doing people's favours. Mm-hmm. It's not. If everyone can just be their best selves, obviously that that releases pressure in all areas of of society. I think people as well always assume that I live on benefits or or that I don't work. There's a big employment gap with disabled people, there is. Um, but but sometimes, you know, systemically hindering people from progressing or developing in any way that they want is is um is is going backwards it's you know would you like me to come out of work so that I do have to rely on the state on the government to to live fairly you know do you want me to have more of a strain on the NHS that is already completely underfunded. You know, we should be able to understand that by helping everybody, the world is a better place. 100%. And I think I love what you said about, you know, it's coming from a place of, you know, really it's just about wanting everyone to thrive. And like, if you just have that, you know, and it goes back to the understanding that, you know, if you don't believe there is privilege, if you don't believe that there is discrimination, then I can't help you because there's so much evidence out there that shows you that there is. So I can't, I can't really have, I can't have that argument with more people again. I can't. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, as, as you know, going back into the world of business and e-commerce, it's like if you are sat there and you're in a position of power, if you're coming from a place of, I just want everyone to prosper, regardless of what their bodies look like or what their skin color is or what their, you know, what gender they identify as. I want to see all talent thrive. So it, cause it, you know, ultimately it will benefit the business, you know, it's not a hundred percent. And I think, yeah, that's, that's such a, it's really, it feels like a simple way to look at it, but I, I can't, I don't really see what's wrong with that. No, I, I agree. It's definitely not wrong. And I think from a business perspective, a lot of the DNI conversation does live at a workforce internal level, but at a sort of, you know, customer facing level, we know that social values are shaping purchase decisions, you know, and, and we know that Gen Zers are more likely to um care about the bigger picture and we know that gen z are leading um that that ideology around um self-expression and identifying however you wish and and really you know they are a lot more um emotionally intelligent in a lot of ways um so with with that in mind dni is a marketing leader um, as well. I think there's always been a big focus on brand affinity. The amount of conversations that I've had where it's all been like, well, brand affinity was really positive. And 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 that's all, I feel like we're conditioned sometimes in marketing to just really look through that funnel at a KPI level. Mm. I mean, of course, because it's all, you know, all comes back to budget. And brand affinity is often one of those. But I read a study the other day and um, it was basically talking about how, yes, brand affinity is important and it, it basically it measures how people, what do people think about you? That's what it measures. But actually we should be focusing, focusing on the other side. We should flip it and we should actually focus on not what do people think about us, but what do we think about people? Mm. and and that as a sort of has a, has a it's so similar but it has a totally different perspective and actually that perspective is completely it's so much more empowering than somebody to say this is how you do it and you do a b c and you, it, they want it to be a linear kind of mm. approach almost and i think really what a key takeout would be is that Everybody's journey to an equitable um, workplace or an equitable process for attracting customers or whatever that might be is is going to be hugely different. And the reason why it's different is because it faces into your gaps. It will face into your data. It will be, you know, exploring what your product is and how do people reach your product why do they why do they want your product so it's 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 almost like you can't have one without the other so you have to be inclusive from the inside to be exclusive and diverse um on on the outside as well so it there's no quick fix it's very unique for every organization 
Um, so I think, yeah, I think that would be my takeout really and, and just obviously from a strategy perspective just to make sure that it's actually led by accountability. Mm, 100%. There is accountability, data, actual, you know, positive action, you know, all of that will give you the culture that you're looking for. I read, I was on LinkedIn the other day and I read something and I'd never heard this phrase before. And I was like, yes, that's so true. And it was a phrase that said, culture eats strategy for breakfast in in the way that it means. Have you heard of it? I haven't heard of it, but I think that's bang on. Yeah. Totally. And because I think if in, my, in my head, what that's saying is, is that you can put any strategy you want out there, but mm. if your culture is working against it, you it's you're never going to achieve it. No, no. And I think as well, a lot of people think the answer to culture is just to let's employ more diverse talent. And I'm all for employing diverse talent. Absolutely, no problems with that. Yes, please, more. Um, it's the start of it, but I I often get the, that question. Well, how do we do that? Yeah, you know, and um, I always say, well, why should they work for you? Mm. What are you giving people? Yeah, so really look at, you know, look at your benefits, mm. Look at how you write your job description, what do you offer people, where's that flexibility? I don't think brands are um, moving quick enough. Yeah, no, I, I, can, I can relate to that. And I think, I mean, at 5.8, when I came on board a couple of years ago, and I, you know, one of my marketing objectives um, was, uh, got to love those words, um, was essentially trying to attract the talent we want to attract. Yeah. And for me, it was, and that that's partly how the women's domain came about because I knew that um, as an individual, and even as a business, we didn't have the answers and that we didn't have, we didn't know it all. So we needed to go and do some work and, and learn, you know, and, and try it. But I think by showing people that we were learning and that we were making changes within our business that ended up attracting um, particularly a huge amount of uh, female talent that mm-hmm. just wasn't coming to us at all, um, particularly in in the web developer role and technical roles, um, which is something that we've always kind of struggled with. We've always managed to fill a marketing team full of women, but never, um, you know, the, the technical side. So mm-hmm. um, that there's there's that element, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely it's definitely a gradual process it's not something that you can just do overnight I don't think no I do think there is like with anything a short medium long-term approach to things and I think sometimes we overcomplicate what we should be doing and I still think that you know for a lot of businesses there's red tape I also think um that because of that red tape, people are observant. 
they'll know what kind of business they're in if they're facing barriers and they're struggling to overcome um, the, those barriers. So I just think sometimes it it is about going for it, being a little bit brave, being a little bit fearless, and but just being transparent. Yeah. If you get something wrong, you know, just just be open about it and just, you know, help people to understand where you're trying to come from. And but I still think people are just hesitant sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think there is quite a lot of power in those smaller margin things. So I always say to brands that I work with, sometimes it's okay to be quiet. You know, I think we, especially as commercial brands, I think brands are often looking at a DNI calendar and and they're sort of saying, right, what what can we do for these events? You know, and and well, what do we do? And and then all of a sudden, you've kind of created a big bang or some you know quite sort of um, high profile activity. Um, you know, one 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 campaign that I've noticed at the minute is because you know obviously we've just gone through uh, Ramadan and Eid. I've noticed that Tesco have done um, quite a lot. Um, I think for brands that don't feel like they're in that space yet, sometimes it's actually okay to just sit back, observe, and but quietly mm. work on the things that you know are going to make a difference in the long term so what are your policies what are your processes you know do how do you actually support colleagues and and as much as it might not be a big external facing activation mm. it matter because the power is in is in what you're what you're doing for people you know often people internally are your customers anyway 100% absolutely it's um the, the internal stakeholder you know scenario and I think you know you know that scenario that you've just said you know if a brand sees another brand doing something and thinks well hang on we haven't really got anything to say in that space mm. it's like that's great you've recognized a gap and then what you've just said is don't don't try and put a plaster over it don't pretend don't put something out there that you don't mean go away and do the work and come back next year knowing that you've you you've made steps you know you've made progress yeah you know that's got to be that's got to be the wish list isn't it that's that is the key to authenticity yeah absolutely is understanding okay what as a business what do we want to be known as what are our drivers what's our purpose and then we've dni through that it's got to be a purposeful um approach you know if you are literally just doing it for commercial reasons because we know the studies are telling us that we have to be more inclusive and we have to be more diverse yeah yeah we know that but everybody knows that and Mm. people see through things now absolutely um before we sort of wrap things up, I did want to ask you, you know, we, we were talked a little bit about attracting diverse talent and and what that means. But also, do you ever have to have those kind of tough conversations or, or really dive into trying to retain diverse talent in the sense of, I know that, you know, there, there'd be a big recruitment drive, maybe particularly when it comes to women and like you get a woman in leadership and, oh, it's great. And she's on the press release and all of this. And then, but actually she's, 
that woman is then working within a culture that doesn't suit her because it's not built for her. You know, it's that idea that the the ladder that we're all climbing um, was built by, you know, built by and for men to succeed. So mm-hmm. anyone anyone else who doesn't look, who isn't a man that reached the top of the ladder, they've, they've got to the top because they've been able to um, behave or be able to work like they they're not a woman like they're not a person of color like they're not a, a, a disabled person they they've been able to sort of you know achieve those things and I just wonder that when it comes to real inclu- inclusion that there needs to be more of a focus on how we retain that talent rather than just getting them into the front doors in the first place I think retention of talent can tell you a lot more about what you are not excelling at and it goes back to that representation that you know goes back to representation versus success because I always say for example that um, representation got me into sport it did. I was not a sports person in the slightest at 27. I was a, you know, smoker, drinker, all sorts. You know, I didn't do anything remotely active. You know, it was it was a run joke, my group of friends. And representation got me into sport, but inclusion kept me in sport. It, it, I was able to be successful because I had allies, I had advocates, I had people that did not care about my health condition, you know, Mm. beyond classification or beyond, you know, how do you help somebody or support somebody that has a difference to succeed? You know, it was through that lens. It wasn't through a medical lens. It was through, this is Carly. This is Carly as a person. And and this is what she's great at. And this is how I know she likes to be responded to. You know, we've all got our, we've all got the ways in which we like to be managed. We've all got the ways in which we like to work. We all know what we're motivated by. That is the same. That was my experience in, in sport. So mm. that is, it's the same type of model. Yeah. You know, treat people as individuals and, and what they need. Obviously, I think brands have to be accountable for some of the sort of systemic barriers that they perpetuate um, themselves. Um, but as it, yeah, just seeing people as individuals and, and understanding that it's different for different people yeah. is it, just where it's at. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. Carly, thank you so much uh, for talking to me uh, this evening. And I'm really excited about seeing you at IRX. um, And I would encourage everyone to go and hear you speak because um, I think it's a great, it's a great perspective. um, And I'd love to, I just love the fact this conversation is happening more in our industry um, because I would love to see things start um, really changing. I mean, I think, you know, I think we work in a really good industry. I'm really, I love the e-commerce industry, but there's still work to be done, I reckon. We're definitely reactive, aren't we, as e-com professionals. And I think if we just get into that mindset of where is that oppression, where is that barrier, and how can we just remove it? Perfect, yeah. 
Absolutely. Carly, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'll see you in a few weeks at IRX. Looking forward to it. Can't wait to see you. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks, Carly. Bye. Bye. I mean, what a guest. What amazing insight. And I think what strikes me most after having these awesome conversations with these awesome women in our industry is that actually what we're striving for, that idea of true equality, true inclusion, it shouldn't be that hard, should it? It's like Carly said, just wanting everyone to thrive is the basis of it all which, you know, in turn means your business is able to thrive. And that can't be a bad goal, can it? I guess sometimes we overcomplicate it when actually the first step is just wanting to see positive change. So look, if you enjoyed this episode, and why wouldn't you, uh, please share the love by liking or rating this podcast. And to make sure you never miss out on an episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, Carly. Thank you to the team at IRX and to my wonderful gang at 5874 Commerce. And of course, thank you for listening. Hopefully we'll see you at IRX. Until next time. Bye bye.